I love the reminder that we get in Scripture where it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And I love that reminder of that song where we get to understand that the reason why we stand confident and sure is not because of our circumstances, is because we trust a God and worship a God who is in control of all things. And I find great peace in that promise. I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles right now or turn on your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, For those of you who are streaming in um, that are normal IBC attenders, I just want to, we're going to take a little hiatus from our Gospel of Matthew series and uh, we'll, we'll pick that up eventually. I'm not sure exactly when, maybe even next week, but for now we're going to be going through uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and we're going to start reading in verses 27 all the way through the end of the chapter. So read along here with me or listen with me in Isaiah chapter 40 starting in verse 27. O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles. O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall into exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. There's a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl, who uh, you may or may not have heard of before. He wrote a book that is uh, pretty timeless. Uh, I even have it on my bookshelf called The Meaning of Life. And that book primarily came out of his experience uh, and to, uh, when he was a part of three concentration camps. He was a leading psychiatrist in Europe, well-known, well-renowned re- uh, in his profession, Uh, But when World War II broke out, he was arrested, thrown into uh, many concentration camps, including Auschwitz. And while he was there, he uh, made kind of a a very uh, profound observation. Uh, And the observation was this. He noticed the difference between people that survived the concentration camp and those that did not. And the observation that he makes, and he even recounts in his book called The Meaning of Life, he says this, survival was not dependent upon someone's physical health or their physical strength. That's not what enabled people to survive. No, he said survival was dependent on hope. He relates this in his book, actually. He says this, the prisoner who had lost faith in his future, his future, was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. Usually this happened quite suddenly in the form of crisis, the symptoms of which were familiar to the experienced camp inmate. 
What Frankel is actually uh, observing here or offering here is that, again, as I already said, there's a distinct difference between someone who has hope and someone that does not. And those who lose hope end up not surviving, whereas those who cling to hope are able to endure faithfully. I think it's safe to say that the world feels as though it is in crisis right now. I mean, just a month ago, people were celebrating the fact that their 401k was at record high, only to watch it significantly decrease in their shock. A month ago, maybe even just a couple weeks ago for you, you've had all kinds of plans, plans to, to go on a trip, maybe doing outreaches in the church, practices, school, meetings, everything you had going on, and now that's all come to an abrupt halt. A few months ago, or even a month ago, most people were not looking death in the face, at least not yet. But now many people are experiencing some degree of anxiety and, and, and worry about their own mortality. Once again, I don't think I have to convince you of this, things are not normal. Life is not normal. It is not the same as it once was. And the irony is that no one has actually written the book on how to navigate through pandemic crisis. No one except God through his prophets. In our passage this morning, we see that God uses his prophet Isaiah to to help shape our perspective in the midst of crisis. He helps Isaiah, he, he speaks through Isaiah to give us hope in the midst of our struggle, to fill our ignorance with understanding, and to per, replace our anxiousness with peace. Now, to give you a little context of our passage this morning, out of Isaiah chapter 40, we see in this context that the Jews are in exile. They are exiled to the, this, this city, this nation known as Babylon. And they've been in exile for multiple decades up to this point. And after multiple decades have transpired, the Jewish people are on the verge of despairing of life itself. They're losing hope for any redemption or rescue. They are concluding that God has in fact abandoned them. And so God responds to their physical crisis and exile. God responds to their emotional crisis of anxiousness and despair. He responds to their spiritual crisis of unbelief and hopelessness and shows them the path of renewed hope. In verse 27, we see that God addresses the hopelessness and the fear of the Jewish people. He says, oh Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? As I already said, the Jewish people already felt abandoned by God. They were beginning to lose faith in their circumstances. They were growing weary and tired and hopeless And yet God reassures them, his love for them. He reassures his love for them by by responding to their cry of distress. when, When God responds saying, oh Jacob, oh Israel, we see that these identity labels is really a way of God reminding them 
that he remembers his covenant promise to them. Notice that God doesn't just refer to the people of Israel, the Jewish people in a way that is just saying, hey, you group of people, or hey, you nation. No, he says, hey, Jacob, hey, Israel. In a sense, they are terms of endearment. They are terms of affection. They are a reminder of his covenant promises to them. Even in my own life, my wife and I, we, we have certain ways in which we refer to one another. And depending on how we refer to one another uh, reflects our intimacy. Most of the time, my wife and I call each other by two, uh, two names. It's either babe or honey. And I know maybe a lot of you do the same thing. But if my wife calls me by my actual name, Aaron, then all of a sudden I'm wondering, what did I do wrong? Perhaps I'm going like, uh, she must be serious because she said my actual name. She hasn't said my name in a long time, or at least the last time she was angry with me. But the point is, we, we, she refers to me and I refer to her in terms of endearment and affection to, to reflect how I feel about her and my love for her. And so we refer to one another as, as babe or honey and God in the, same, in the same text refers to the people of Israel as, oh Jacob, oh Israel, I know you, I love you, I'm committed to you. I have not forgotten my promises to you. I love you very much. In fact, I have a plan for you. No doubt like the Jewish people, you might have asked, God, where are you? Don't you care about my struggle? Don't you see my pain? In fact, I have yet to meet anyone who hasn't wavered in their faith at some point in time in their life. And no doubt, many people around the world right now are either wavering in their faith or they're wavering because of a a lack of faith. And yet God reaffirms his love and his commitment to his children In a sense, you could almost place your name in the place of Jacob or Israel. Aaron, how can you say I do not see your troubles? Aaron, my son, how can you say that I ignore your rights? So God hears the distress. He hears the cries. He sees what is going on better than the Jewish people can see. And then he directs his attention Onto himself. This is what verse 28 reflects. We see that God redirects our attention from our hopelessness to his greatness. God redirects our attention from our hopelessness to his greatness. Listen to verse 28. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Here we have four descriptions of God. First of all, we are reminded that God is an everlasting God, which means that God is both at the beginning of time as well as at the end of time. God is at the beginning even before we even knew what a coronavirus was, and he's at the end of this whole coronavirus season. We also see that God is creator of all things, which reveals his ability and his power. We're reminded that God is also always at work. 
I appreciate what Ray Ortland says in his commentary. He says, at any given event of your life that you are aware of, God is actively accomplishing about 10,000 other things that you aren't aware of. So God is always at work. And fourthly, we see that God is unsearchable, that we, we cannot measure the depths of his understanding. This means that we can never fully grasp God. We cannot put God in a box. We can't figure him out completely because God is infinite. He's eternal. My daughter Riley has uh, been lately asking why God does not quite make sense. How can the Father be God and Jesus be God and the Spirit be God and there's only one God? That makes no sense, she says. And I love the fact that she realizes it doesn't make sense because I can't wrap my mind around it either. After all, I'm thankful that God is not, that God is unsearchable, that we can't figure him out, that we cannot put him in a box because if we could, he would not be much of a God. In a real sense, what God is saying in verse 28 is that in the midst of the Jews' anguish and fear and weariness, God is saying, this is who I am. I see your cry of distress. I see your pain. I see what you're going through. I know your hurts. I know your fears. And I want you to know that in the midst of everything you're experiencing, this is who I am. The way God is helping his people endure and to be encouraged in the midst of their crisis is by redirecting their focus off their crisis and on to his greatness. It's very similar to what God does as he responds to Job's situation. I won't go into detail right now, but for those of you who don't know the story of Job, Job was a man of great wealth. He had many things, he, and he loved and feared God. And yet, though he was not aware of it in real time, God allowed him to be tested by Satan. And we see that everything he had was taken away, and all his resources, and even family members were being killed and, he, and the, the whole like, first 48 chapters of the book of Job is all about God. What are you doing? Why can't you intervene? What is going on? What have I done wrong? God, are you going to show up? And I love God's response because God's response to Job is not a response of explanation, but it's a response of declaration of who he is. The point is this, our greatest need in the midst of personal crisis is not clear-cut solutions to our problems. No, our greatest need in view of our circumstances is to view God in light of our circumstances is to see our crisis in light of God's greatness. It's to see everything through an almighty creator God who's in control of all things. As I related last week, and I quote from a quote that was given to me, according to the Bible, either life overwhelms you, and we call that fear, or God overwhelms you, and we call that faith. In the end, only faith is the answer 
to our fear. The fact is, only when we become overwhelmed with the greatness of God will we rightly interpret life's circumstances and maintain proper perspective. But it doesn't end there. Not only will we understand our circumstances more clearly when we are overwhelmed by God's greatness and goodness to us, but God renews our hope and our strength. Listen to verses 29 through 31. We see that God gives us strength to endure. Verse 29, he says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not faint. In other words, no matter how strong and how determined a person might be, eventually everyone wears out. Even the ultra athlete, even the Ironman athlete eventually has to stop and rest and recover from their labor. But as we are promised here in this prophet, prophet, through this prophet, we see that God says he gives strength and he gives power to the weak and the powerless. He's the one who gives strength to those who wait on him. Now some of your translations, depending on what you're reading out of, your translation might actually say that uh, he, that uh, use the word hope. Or maybe your translation uses the word trust. But I believe if you look at the Hebrew, we see that the original word is actually wait. The key to being strengthened in the midst of adversity is waiting. Wait means to live in confident, eager suspense. Waiting on God to come through or to fulfill us or fulfill his promises to us is what it means to live by faith. In other words, living by faith as we are called to do means waiting patiently on God but with full confidence that God will come through for us. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you waiting on God patiently? Are you eagerly looking for what God is seeking to accomplish through your crisis? Are you eagerly looking with confident assurance that God is in fact in control of the crisis we all find ourselves in today? Or let me ask a more probing question. What are you looking to during this uncertain time in our world? What are you absorbing on a continual basis What gains your affection and attention during this very difficult time? Well, may I encourage you in this way. Focus on Christ and not the crisis. You focus on Christ and not the crisis. 
Remember, your greatest need, my greatest need, is not a better understanding of the coronavirus. No, our greatest need is a better understanding of God and who He is. Your greatest need is not more news. No, your greatest need is more God in light of all the news. I appreciate what Isaiah 26 verse 3 says. It says, you keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. I believe that when you stay focused on God, who is in control of all his creation, then the result that we can expect from him is peace and hope and confidence and strength to endure. Let me close in this way. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine, he says, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that wherever we're sitting, wherever we're standing, wherever we're listening to these words, I pray that your spirit would right now comfort us in the midst of the chaos. I pray that, Heavenly Father, in the midst of all the, the news feeds that we are inundated with and, and all the, 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 the opinions and messages that we are trying to filter through on a, on a day-by-day, really minute-by-minute basis, Father, may, in the midst of all that, may we have a much grander, awestruck vision of you. Lord, what we need most is to hear from you. What we need most in the midst of our crisis is to see how great you are, to see how magnificent you are, to know that you are everlasting God, creator of all things, who never stops working, and who is in control of even coronavirus. Father, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I pray that we would see this as opportunity opportunity to serve our neighbor, to serve our friends, to serve our community, an opportunity to represent you. So right now, Father, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that you would overwhelm us with your presence. And may we be a voice of hope and confident assurance in the midst of great chaos, knowing that there is a God and that, the God, that God loves us very much and that he is taking care of all these things. Father, reaffirm our hearts even now. May we not be fixed on the horizontal, but may we fix our eyes upon you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a couple closing remarks for you, I know that uh, whatever you're doing in your living room or wherever you're at right now, I encourage you earlier in the week, but I wanna just kinda remind you of a couple ideas. First of all, I want to encourage you to take the time, if you're with some people,
to discuss what you have just heard. And if you're alone, take some time to reflect on what you have just heard. In other words, don't just go on to the next thing. Don't just turn it off and go on to whatever you had planned for the day. Take this time to listen to what God is saying to you. Secondly, I want to encourage you to take time to pray with one another and for one another. Take the time to to really just intercede on behalf of one another, to talk about what's going on in our own hearts. And those of you who are willing, I want to also encourage you as heads of the home, I want to encourage you to celebrate communion, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We don't worry about the yeastless bread or anything like that. I picked up cranberry juice. It's not even grape juice. (laughs) Whatever you want to use, the point is your heart being engaged in it. But this is an opportunity, even in your homes, to celebrate Jesus Christ, to celebrate the greatest gift that you have received. And just a a word of uh, encouragement or equipping, whoever's gonna be leading that in your home, read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, read that passage in there, and then just celebrate and just thank Jesus for what of this, this amazing gift that we have received. One final remark. I want to encourage you, those of you who call IBC their home church, to please continue to give faithfully. I understand that in this difficult time, maybe some of you have already lost your job. Maybe some of you are struggling and you're living month to month and you're wondering, how in the world am I going to make bills? And then you're asking me to keep tithing? And I'm going to say, matter of fact, yes. Please give faithfully. I'm always reminded of how Jesus, he honors and really just puts a spotlight on the poor widow who gave all that she had. Because he says she gave out of her poverty, even though others give out of their abundance. And yet even to this day, we know that poor widow. She stands as an example of what it means to give faithfully. I believe this church family, if you are faithful to what God has called you to do in this act of worship, that I know he will be faithful to you. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your celebration.